0: chapter 1 part 2 of south this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org south the story of shackleton's last expedition 1914 to 1917 by sir ernest shackleton chapter 1 into the weddell sea part 2 the endurance remained against the flow for the next 24 hours when the gale moderated the pack extended to the horizon in all directions and was broken by innumerable narrow lanes many bergs were in sight and they appeared to be travelling through the pack in a southwesterly direction under the current influence probably the pack itself was moving northeast with the gale clark put down a net in search of specimens and at two fathoms it was carried southwest by the current and fouled the propeller he lost the net two leads, and a line. Ten bergs drove to the south through the pack during the twenty-four hours. The noon position was sixty-one degrees, thirty-one minutes south, longitude eighteen degrees, twelve minutes west. The gale had moderated at eight p.m., and we made five miles to the south before midnight, and then we stopped at the end of a long lead, waiting till the weather cleared. It was during this short run that the captain, with the semaphore hard port shouted to the scientist at the wheel, "'Why in paradise don't you port?' The answer came in indignant tones, "'I am blowing my nose!' The endurance made some progress on the following day. Long leads of open water ran towards the southwest, and the ship smashed at full speed through occasional areas of young ice, till brought up with a heavy thud against a section of older floe. Worsley was out on the jib-boom end for a few minutes while Wild was conning the ship, and he came back with a glowing account of a novel sensation. The boom was swinging high and low, and from side to side, while the massive bows of the ship smashed through the ice, splitting it across, piling it mass on mass, and then shouldering it aside. The air temperature was thirty-seven degrees Fahrenheit, pleasantly warm, and the water temperature 29 degrees Fahrenheit. We continued to advance through fine, long leads till 4 a.m. on December 17th, when the ice became difficult again. Very large floes of six-month-old ice lay close together. Some of these floes presented a square mile of unbroken surface, and among them were patches of thin ice and several floes of heavy old ice." Many bergs were in sight, and the course became devious. The ship was blocked at one point by a wedge-shaped piece of floe, but we put the ice-anchor through it, towed it astern, and proceeded through the gap. Steering under these conditions required muscle as well as nerve. There was a clatter aft during the afternoon, and Huzzy, who was at the wheel, explained that the wheel spun round and threw me over the top of it. The noon position was latitude 62 degrees 13 minutes south, longitude 18 degrees 53 minutes west, and the run for the preceding 24 hours had been 32 miles in a southwesterly direction. We saw three blue whales during the day and one emperor penguin, a 58-pound bird, which was added to the larder. The morning of December 18 found the endurance proceeding amongst large floes with thin ice between them. The leads were few. There was a northerly breeze with occasional snow flurries. We secured three crab-eater seals, two cows, and a bull. The bull was a fine specimen, nearly white all over, and nine foot three inches long. He weighed six hundred pounds. Shortly before noon further progress was barred by heavy pack, and we put an ice-anchor on the floe and banked the fires. I had been prepared for evil conditions in the Weddell Sea but had hoped that in December and January, at any rate, the pack would be loose, even if no open water was to be found. What we were actually encountering was fairly dense pack of a very obstinate character. Pack-ice might be described as a gigantic and interminable jigsaw puzzle devised by nature. The parts of the puzzle in loose pack have floated slightly apart and become disarranged. At numerous places they have pressed together again. As the pack gets closer, the congested areas grow larger, and the parts are jammed harder till finally it becomes close pack, when the whole of the jigsaw puzzle becomes jammed to such an extent that with care and labor it can be traversed in every direction on foot. Where the parts do not fit closely, there is, of course, open water, which freezes over in a few hours after giving off volumes of frost smoke. In obedience to renewed pressure, this young ice rafts, so forming double thicknesses of a toffee-like consistency. Again, the opposing edges of heavy flows rear up in slow and almost silent conflict, till high hedgerows are formed round each part of the puzzle. At the junction of several flows, chaotic areas of piled-up blocks and masses of ice are formed. Sometimes five-foot to six-foot piles of evenly shaped blocks of ice are seen so neatly laid that it seems impossible for them to be nature's work. Again, a winding canyon may be traversed between icy walls six-foot to ten-foot high, or a dome may be formed that under renewed pressure bursts upward like a volcano. All the winter the drifting pack changes, grows by freezing, thickens by rafting, and corrugates by pressure. If finally in its drift it impinges on a coast, such as the western shore of the Weddell Sea, terrific pressure is set up, and an inferno of ice blocks, ridges, and hedgerows results, extending possibly for one hundred and fifty or two hundred miles offshore. Sections of pressure ice may drift away subsequently, and become embedded in new ice. I have given this brief explanation here in order that the reader may understand the nature of the ice through which we pushed our way for many hundreds of miles. Another point that may require to be explained was the delay caused by wind while we were in the pack. When a strong breeze or moderate gale was blowing the ship could not safely work through any except young ice, up to about two feet in thickness. As ice of that nature never extended for more than a mile or so, It followed that, in a gale, in the pack, we had always to lie to. The ship was three foot three inches down by the stern, and while this saved the propeller and rudder a good deal, it made the endurance practically unmanageable in close pack when the wind attained a force of six miles an hour from ahead, since the air currents had such a big surface forward to act upon. The pressure of wind on bows and the yards of the foremast would cause the bows to fall away and in these conditions the ship could not be steered into the narrow lanes and leads through which we had to thread our way. The falling away of the bows, moreover, would tend to bring the stern against the ice, compelling us to stop the engines in order to save the propeller. Then the ship would become unmanageable and drift away, with the possibility of a getting excessive sternway on her, and so damaging rudder or propeller, the Achilles' heel of a ship in pack-ice." While we were waiting for the weather to moderate and the ice to open, I had the Lucas sounding machine rigged over the rudder trunk and found the depth to be two thousand eight hundred ten fathoms. The bottom sample was lost, owing to the line parting sixty fathoms from the end. During the afternoon three Adeli penguins approached the ship across the flow, while Hussey was discoursing sweet music on the banjo. The solemn-looking little birds appeared to appreciate it's a long way to Tipperary, but they fled in horror when Hussey treated them to a little of the music that comes from Scotland. The shouts of laughter from the ship added to their dismay, and they made off as fast as their short legs would carry them. The pack opened slightly at 6.15 p.m., and we proceeded through lanes for three hours before being forced to anchor to a floe for the night. We fired a Mark harpoon, Number 171, into a blue whale on this day. The conditions did not improve during December 19. A fresh to strong northerly breeze brought haze and snow, and after proceeding for two hours the endurance was stopped again by heavy floes. It was impossible to maneuver the ship in the ice, owing to the strong wind, which kept the floes in movement and caused lanes to open and close with dangerous rapidity. The noon observation showed that we had made six miles to the southeast in the previous twenty-four hours. All hands were engaged during the day in rubbing shoots off our potatoes, which were found to be sprouting freely. We remained moored to a floe over the following day, the wind not having moderated. Indeed it freshened to a gale in the afternoon, and the members of the staff and crew took advantage of the pause, to enjoy a vigorously contested game of football on the level surface of the floe alongside the ship. Twelve bergs were in sight at this time. The noon position was latitude 62 degrees 42 minutes south, longitude 17 degrees 54 minutes west, showing that we had drifted about six miles in a northeasterly direction. Monday, December 21, was beautifully fine, with a gentle west-northwesterly breeze. We made a start at three a.m., and proceeded through the pack in a southwesterly direction. At noon we had gained seven miles almost due east, the northerly drift of the pack having continued while the ship was apparently moving to the south. Petrels of several species, penguins and seals, were plentiful, and we saw four small blue whales. At noon we entered a long lead to the southward, and passed around and between nine splendid bergs one mighty specimen was shaped like the rock of gibraltar but with steeper cliffs and another had a natural dock that would have contained the aquitania a spur of ice closed the entrance to the huge blue pool hurley brought out his kinematograph camera in order to make a record of these bergs fine long leads running east and southeast among bergs were found during the afternoon but at midnight the ship was stopped by small, heavy ice floes, tightly packed against an unbroken plain of ice. The outlook from the masthead was not encouraging. The big floe was at least fifteen miles long and ten miles wide. The edge could not be seen at the widest part, and the area of the floe must have been not less than one hundred and fifty square miles. It appeared to be formed of year-old ice, not very thick, and with few hummocks or ridges in it. We thought it must have been formed at sea in very calm weather, and drifted up from the southeast. I had never seen such a large area of unbroken ice in the Ross Sea. We waited with banked fires for the strong easterly breeze to moderate, or the pack to open. At 6.30 p.m. on December 22, some lanes opened, and we were able to move towards the south again. The following morning found us working slowly through the pack, and the noon observation gave us a gain of nineteen miles south, forty-one degrees west, for the seventeen and a half hours under steam. Many year-old Adelies, three crab-eaters, six sea-leopards, one weddell, and two blue whales were seen. The air temperature, which had been down to twenty-five degrees Fahrenheit on December 21, had risen to thirty-four degrees Fahrenheit. While we were working along leads to the southward in the afternoon, we counted fifteen bergs. Three of these were table-topped, and one was about seventy feet high and five miles long. Evidently it had come from a barrier edge. The ice became heavier but slightly more open, and we had a calm night with fine long leads of open water. The water was so still that new ice was forming on the leads. We had a run of seventy miles to our credit at noon on December 24th, the position being latitude sixty-four degrees thirty-one minutes south, longitude seventeen degrees seventeen minutes west. All the dogs except eight had been named. I do not know who had been responsible for some of the names, which seemed to represent a variety of tastes. They were as follows, Rugby, Upton, Bristol, Millhill, Songster, Sandy, Mac, Mercury, Wolf, Amundsen, Hercules, Hackenschmidt, Samson, Sammy, Skipper, Caruso, Sub, Ulysses, Spotty, Bosun, Slobbers, Sadie, Sue, Sally, Jasper, Tim, Sweep, Martin, Splitlip, Luke, Saint, Satan, Chips, Stump, Snapper, Painful, Bob, Snowball, Jerry, Judge, Sudie Rufus, Sidelights, Simeon, Swanker, Cheergwin, Steamer, Peter, Fluffy, Steward, Slippery, Elliot, Roy, Noel, Shakespeare, Jamie, Bummer, Smuts, Lupoid, Spider, and Sailor. Some of the names, it will be noticed, had a descriptive flavor. Heavy flows held up the ship from midnight till 6 a.m. on December 25, Christmas Day. Then they opened a little, and we made progress till 11.30 a.m., when the leads closed again. We had encountered good leads and workable ice during the early part of the night, and the noon observation showed that our run for the twenty-four hours was the best since we had entered the pack a fortnight earlier. We had made seventy-one miles south, four degrees west. The ice held us up till the evening, and then we were able to follow some leads for a couple of hours before the tightly packed floes and the increasing wind compelled a stop. The celebration of Christmas was not forgotten. Grog was served at midnight to all on deck there was grog again at breakfast for the benefit of those who had been in their bunks at midnight. Lees had decorated the ward-room with flags, and had a little Christmas present for each of us. Some of us had presents from home to open. Later there was a really splendid dinner, consisting of turtle soup, white bait, jugged hare, Christmas pudding, mince-pies, dates, figs, and crystallized fruits, with rum and stout as drinks. In the evening everybody joined a sing-song. Huzzy had made a one-stringed violin, on which, in the words of Worsley, he discoursed quite painlessly. The wind was increasing to a moderate southeasterly gale, and no advance could be made. So we were able to settle down to the enjoyments of the evening. The weather was still bad on December 26 and 27, and the endurance remained anchored to a flow. The noon position on the 26th was latitude 65 degrees 41 minutes south, longitude 17 degrees 36 minutes west. We made another sounding on this day with the Lucas machine, and found bottom at twenty-eight hundred nineteen fathoms. The specimen brought up was a pterogenous blue mud, glacial deposit, with some radiolara. Every one took turns at the work of heaving in, two men working together in ten-minute spells. Sunday, December twenty-seventh, was a quiet day aboard. The southerly gale was blowing the snow and clouds off the floe, and the temperature had fallen to twenty-three degrees Fahrenheit. The dogs were having an uncomfortable time in their deck-quarters. The wind had moderated by the following morning, but it was squally with snow-flurries, and I did not order a start until eleven p.m. The pack was still close, but the ice was softer and more easily broken. During the pause the carpenter had rigged a small stage over the stern. A man was stationed there to watch the propeller and prevent it striking heavy ice, and the arrangement proved very valuable it saved the rudder as well as the propeller from many blows the high winds that had prevailed for four and a half days gave way to a gentle southerly breeze in the evening of december twenty-nine owing to the drift we were actually eleven miles farther north than we had been on december twenty-fifth but we made fairly good progress on the thirtieth in fine clear weather the ship followed a long lead to the southeast during the afternoon and evening and at eleven p.m. we crossed the Antarctic Circle. An examination of the horizon disclosed considerable breaks in the vast circle of pack-ice, interspersed with bergs of different sizes. Leeds could be traced in various directions, but I looked in vain for an indication of open water. The sun did not set that night, and as it was concealed behind a bank of clouds we had a glow of crimson and gold to the southward with delicate pale green reflections in the water of the lanes to the southeast the ship had a serious encounter with the ice on the morning of december 31 we were stopped first by floes closing around us and then about noon the endurance got jammed between two floes heading east northeast the pressure heeled the ship over 6 degrees while we were getting an ice anchor onto the floe in order to heave astern and thus assist the engines which were running at full speed the effect was successful. Immediately afterwards, at the spot where the endurance had been, slabs of ice fifty feet by fifteen feet and four feet thick were forced ten or twelve feet up on the lee floe at an angle of forty-five degrees. The pressure was severe, and we were not sorry to have the ship out of its reach. The noon position was latitude sixty-six degrees forty-seven minutes south, longitude fifteen degrees fifty-two minutes west, and the run for the preceding twenty-four hours was fifty-one miles south twenty-nine degrees east since noon the character of the pack has improved wrote worley on this day though the leads are short the floes are rotten and easily broken through if a good place is selected with care and judgment in many cases we find large sheets of young ice through which the ship cuts for a mile or two miles at a stretch I have been conning and working the ship from the crow's nest and find it much the best place, as from there one can see ahead and work out the course beforehand, and can also guard the rudder and propeller, the most vulnerable parts of a ship in the ice. At midnight, as I was sitting in the tub, I heard a clamorous noise down on the deck, with ringing of bells, and realized that it was the new year. Worsley came down from his lofty seat, and met Wild, Hudson, and myself on the bridge, where we shook hands and wished one another a happy and successful new year. Since entering the pack on December 11 we had come four hundred and eighty miles, through loose and close pack-ice. We had pushed and fought the little ship through, and she had stood the test well, though the propeller had received some shrewd blows against hard ice, and the vessel had been driven against the floe until she had fairly mounted up on it and slid back rolling heavily from side to side. The rolling had been more frequently caused by the operation of cracking through thickish young ice, where the crack had taken a sinuous course. The ship, in attempting to follow it, struck first one bilge and then the other, causing her to roll six or seven degrees. Our advance through the pack had been in a south ten degrees east direction, and I estimated that the total steaming distance had exceeded seven hundred miles. The first one hundred miles had been through loose pack but the greatest hindrances had been three moderate southwesterly gales, two lasting for three days each, and one for four and a half days. The last two hundred and fifty miles had been through close pack, alternating with fine long leads and stretches of open water. During the weeks we spent maneuvering to the south through the torturous mazes of the pack, it was necessary often to split flows by driving the ship against them. This form of attack was effective against ice up to three feet in thickness, and the process is interesting enough to be worth describing briefly. When the way was barred by a flow of moderate thickness, we would drive the ship at half-speed against it, stopping the engines just before the impact. At the first blow, the endurance would cut a V-shaped nick in the face of the flow, the slope of her cut water often causing her bows to rise till nearly clear of the water, when she would slide backwards, rolling slightly. Watching carefully that loose lumps of ice did not damage the propeller, we would reverse the engines and back the ship off two hundred to three hundred yards. She would then be driven full speed into the V, taking care to hit the center accurately. The operation would be repeated until a short dock was cut, into which the ship, acting as a large wedge, was driven. At about the fourth attempt, if it was to succeed at all, the flow would yield. A black, sinuous line, as though pen drawn on white paper, would appear ahead broadening as the eye traced it back to the ship. Presently it would be broad enough to receive her, and we would forge ahead. Under the bows and alongside, great slabs of ice were being turned over and slid back on the floe, or driven down and under the ice or ship. In this way the endurance would split a two-foot to three-foot floe a square mile in extent. Occasionally the floe, although cracked across, would be so held by other floes that it would refuse to open wide and so gradually would bring the ship to a standstill. We would then go astern for some distance, and again drive her full speed into the crack, till finally the flow would yield to the repeated onslaughts. End of chapter 1, part 2